Hey, uh, elementary and uh, middle school, you guys are heading out too, right? You guys can both. All right. Well, hey, good to be with you guys this morning. A couple weeks ago, if you were here, I shared uh, basically just kind of some goals, some vision for 2021, some things that uh, God had laid on my heart for our church community in the year ahead. And one of those was develop um, small group communities whose primary focus was on helping one another be transformed into the image of Christ. And fostering communities of transformation uh, I've learned over time, um, takes a particular mindset. Um, it definitely also takes a particular skill set um, of the folks involved in that to see that culture of change come to life. And so last week, Justin began uh, a new series called Soul Care, and we're talking about how do we effectively care for the souls of the people that God has placed in our life, and this is key, in a way in which um, it leads us, all of us, them and us, um, to have a greater appetite for more of God in our life, okay? And that's what we hope to uncover in the next few weeks. I want to start this morning by asking you a question, and I really need everybody to, like, participate, not just sit there and wait for others to do stuff. All it requires is either raising your hand or not, okay? So not a high bar, okay? So if you grew up in a family um, that basically kind of, like, didn't talk about process emotions raise your hand okay i want y'all to look around the room <laughs> that's pretty crazy okay me too all right um and I, I would i would guess that if you ask those of you to raise your hand if you asked your parents if they grew up in a home that talked about emotions or process anything they'd probably say no i didn't either right and so there's this dysfunction emotional processing dysfunction that's being passed down from generation to generation. So a lot of us are just kind of victim um, to things that we didn't really have a whole lot of control over, but we do have um, the option of what we do with that and the opportunity to change it so that our homes uh, can be more healthy, right? Um, so as somebody who did not grow up in a home where really people were asking me, hey, how you doing, you know, and processing my feelings through the various things we went through as, as a family, I felt completely unequipped um, to have heart-level conversations with people as I became an adult, with, with friends and then uh, eventually with a wife and then eventually with children. Like, I just didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I felt like I was just kind of swimming into some deep waters um, with, with no uh, lifeboat in sight, right? So it was difficult, but I've learned over time that uh, providing effective soul care is an acquired skill set. It's something that we have to learn. Very few people are just born naturally knowing how to do it, okay? To care for people's hearts in a way that increases their appetite for more than God, more of God. Because here's the deal, you might be able to communicate naturally on like an emotional level. There's some people maybe that can naturally do that. But then when you add a spiritual element on top of that, and you're trying to take people to deep places of God, like you can, you can be equipped emotionally but have no clue how to lead people to spiritual places that really affect change in their life. So it's something that we all have to learn. Nobody's really born with that skill set, okay, spiritually, how to point people towards God. Because it's into his presence 
is where we need to lead people. We don't need to lead people into our wisdom or whatever advice we might have or even our empathy or compassion alone. And here's why. It's because God might have something for our friend, our child, our spouse, whoever's brought you know, their need to us. He might have something for them that's new. Right? So, so whatever wisdom or life experience we might have, that might be great, maybe helpful. But guess what? God might want to do something completely new in that person's life that we haven't even considered. So our goal is not to just download whatever information we might have about God or about how life works and those kinds of things. Our goal is to lead people to the one who has the answers, right? Jesus stood up in a crowd and he said this, John 7, 37, he said, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Okay, we don't have to have the answers for everybody. God has the answers. <laughs> we have to figure out how do we lead them to that fountain so they can drink from what God has for them. So how do we do that? Well, last week, uh, Justin told a story about a guy in the Bible you guys are pretty familiar with named Job. And, and Job and his story, his, his life, his world really falls apart in basically one day. He loses all of his wealth. His health is deteriorating. He's lost several of his family members have just died and been taken from him in an instant. And so he is just racked with pain and grief, and it's all really tender. And, and, and he told a story, uh, Justin told the story about Job's three friends that show up just to be with him. And so for a week, it says they just sit with him. Uh, they don't say a word to him. They had enough wisdom to know that now wasn't the time to say anything to him, okay? And so they sit with him, and that ministry of presence is certainly a large part of soul care, to enter in with somebody and remind them of the truth, that God, through all seasons of life, whether things are going well or not going well, that God is with them, that he wants to care for them through that, okay? And we, we can show up and just be an ambassador of his grace and his presence by just being there. But I did want to, as I was thinking back through the story, though, we have to remember this, <laughs> is that those friends came to be with Job on their own accord, Job didn't ask them to come and visit. He didn't say, hey, I'd really love for you to come and be with me and give me your advice on what I should do moving forward. He really didn't express any interest in their opinion, right? He hadn't given them an indication that he wanted to talk about anything. And I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind as we care for other, other people's hearts is let's make sure that our words are desired Okay, instead of forcing our input on another person who might not be ready or interested in what we have to say about their situation. And I know that's a real temptation for us, and we'll talk more about that in the series as well. That says a lot about us, too. <laughs> Sometimes when things are really tender and the pain is just really tangible, like words are the last thing anyone needs. Okay, and so I think Justin kind of drove that ministry of presence kind of home last week. Okay, today I want to talk about a different facet of soul care. Okay, because there are other times when somebody comes to us and they're hurting and they are asking for conversation. They do want to know our thoughts. And so today I want to expand into that uh, arena of what do we do when somebody comes to us and kind of drops a bomb on us. All right, something really heavy 
emotionally that we may or may not have been expecting? How do we navigate things emotionally with people that we care about? And I just want to say this before I move on, just remind you, okay, that, that, um, that I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and you're like, I already know that, Bob. Like, that's every week, right? But in this area of emotions, okay, I am a learner, all right? And really only in the last maybe seven or eight years have I learned a ton about this and began trying to make some changes. But like we've talked about um, in the past year, some of those ruts of how we deal with things are pretty strong, and it's difficult to make some new ruts and to dive in in vulnerable ways with people. So I'm coming to you today as a learner. This series, I'm here soaking it in, trying to be better. Because here's the thing, is that um, I do want to be better. Right? I mean, I want to be there, engaged with my kids, with my spouse, with my friends, you guys. Uh, as you come sometimes with issues, I want to be able to care for your soul well. And so humbly, I'm here before you today saying, man, I want to get better, and I'm trying to learn. So I'm just going to share with you a few things that I've picked up, okay? And I think a good overarching principle to begin with is the knowledge that when we're sitting down with somebody and they're sharing, they've just dropped something on us, is that there's always more going on than we realize, okay? There's always more going on. When our friend shares something with us, they may only be sharing just the tip of the iceberg. And beneath the surface, there's this whole foundation, you know, this unseen iceberg under the waterline um, that's fueling that pain. And so we're seeing the actions and behavior on the surface, but where it's coming from is, is beneath the waterline in their life. And so in soul care, our ministry is to get down to the heart level, right, beneath the waterline. How do we do that? I want you to open your Bibles, if you could, to Matthew chapter 6. It's page 880. And I want to begin with kind of talking about what is it that's going on. When somebody is, is kind of coming and sharing something, there's, there's something going on there. and Where's it coming from? So we're going to look at verse 19 in chapter 6 of Matthew. Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So a really critical question when, when we enter in is trying to discern where, where is this person's heart? What's ruling their heart? What's their treasure right now in life? You know, what is it they're treasuring? That's critical. You know, as a pastor, people come to me generally when things are completely falling apart, all right? People don't come when things are just a little concerning. They wait, right, until it's an absolute mess, and then I get the phone call. Right, so when people come into my office and, um, you know, a lot of times it's around relationships and primarily marriages, and as I listen to just the gut-wrenching pain of this painful stories of dysfunction, I'm always aware that the behaviors that they're exhibiting, the, the passions that they're sharing are connected to deeper issues, right? There's something more going on, the iceberg beneath the surface. And pastor and author Paul David Tripp says three things about that Matthew 6 passage that we just looked at. So we can put these up on the slide for you. One is this. Everyone seeks some kind of treasure. 
Every one of us is our treasure hunters in some way, okay? Secondly, your treasure will control your heart. Whatever it is you treasure will control your heart. And third, what controls your heart will control your behavior. Okay? So I want to get some reactions from you guys here real quick. How have you seen that to be true in your life? So if you maybe think about a season where you've treasured something other than Jesus, how has that controlled you? And then how has your heart, um, what controls your heart? Has it controlled your behavior? Who can talk about something that they've treasured in life other than God? Yeah, Steve. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So her treasure, what she really wants is just be alone, right? Time by herself, all right? And so that treasure, and when she doesn't get it, then her behaviors become, you know, grumpy or whatever that looks like. I don't want to read into what your life might look like at home, Stacy. but <laughs> all right. But thank you for sharing. That's great. What else? What else have you treasured in life other than God? Yeah. Your career. Okay. And it's easy to, uh, it's always so easy for me to blame, like to justify it because it's a civil service career. Mm -hmm. And then um, it is the, what I consider to be the image of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but it's tied in with service. Mm -hmm. And so that constant, like I guess comparing my behavior to Christ constantly makes me realize I have to always put him on the line. And so I don't feel like I can Yeah, yeah, okay. So she says her career and that um, when she's not performing or getting the pats on the back maybe that she should, there's a reaction there, right? People are impacted by the fact that she's made that an idol in her life at times, okay? Anybody else, one more? Yes, Aaron. <laughs> yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So kind of mother mother hen syndrome, right? So you've had children, those of you that are parents, and all of a sudden your desire to make sure that they don't suffer any pain or calamity in life, like. That, that, that makes all kinds of behaviors come to the surface, and there's consequences and impacts of that, okay? Great. So, I mean, I'm sure we can all have examples. And, and what, what we're really talking about here, guys, is misplaced desires. 
Okay, we all struggle with misplaced desires. James 1.14 says this, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. <laughs> and every single one of us is going to find ourselves in a season of life where we treasure something other than God. And the implications of that are going to be potentially damaging to our souls and to the souls of the people around us. Okay? So as these stories of misplaced desires, seeking treasures other than God come filtering through my office doors, I try to remind myself that my first priority in offering soul care to other people is to hurt for them. It's to hurt for them. No matter how frustrating their actions or perspectives might be at the time, because a lot of times when you're hurting, man, you say and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And sometimes it's hard to listen to. But when we offer soul care, we should never do it from a posture of better than. Okay, we cannot sit and, and offer soul care to somebody else from this position of I'm here and your life's a mess. And I, I could never do or think or say or be the person that you're being right now. And I always think of that old phrase, you know, but by the grace of God, there go I, right? Which means that, you know, if it wasn't for God's grace, I could certainly be where that person is making the same decisions, and I'm not above their sin, okay? You can't really provide soul care to another person from the position of better than, because they will see right through that. They will see that as judgment, which it is. And they will, they will understand that it's not a safe place. And, and, and so we've got to connect with compassion, okay, just for the fact that they're hurting and lost, and it's not who they want to be. And I was, I was, I was writing this, one scene came to mind from, from Scripture, from Jesus' life. It's when he's coming to Jerusalem, and he's on the edge of town, and he's getting ready to go in, you know, for what he knows is going to be the last week of his life. And it says that he stops, and he looks at Jerusalem, and he just weeps. Because these people, um, even though they'd heard the message, they'd seen the miracles, their, their treasure was something else other than what he was offering. Whether that was changed circumstances or better job or easier path or more power, prestige, whatever it was, whatever their other treasure was had caused them to miss Jesus. And the truth of their lostness just weighed on Jesus' heart. Because that's not who he created them to be. And we need to feel the pain of misplaced hopes in our brothers and sisters. And I would venture so far as to say, if you can't conjure up some kind of compassion or hurt for your brother or sister, you probably need to just step out for a while. Because whatever's going to come out of your mouth is probably not going to be super helpful if you don't have some compassion for them, if you're not hurting for them a little bit. So just a little warning there. Okay, when providing soul care to a friend who has placed their hopes in something other than God, my greatest desire as somebody offering that care is to rekindle their heart, their passion for Christ. Okay, to rekindle their passion for Christ, their love for Christ more than it is for their marriage, relationship, or whatever they came in the door, <clears throat> whatever the problem was, to be fixed. Okay, the goal of soul care is to rekindle their love for Christ, not to fix their problems. Usually when people find themselves in those <clears throat> these places, 
What's happened to them along the way, which you'll discern pretty quickly as you hear them talking, is that somehow they've, they've gotten a warped view of the gospel. Somewhere along the way, they've been deceived in some way, and they've just gotten a warped view of who God is, who they are, and who the other people are that are involved in this situation with them, okay? So I try to remind people of three fundamental truths. I put them up on the screen. One is this. Other people aren't the enemy. Satan is. Even though it really seems like your spouse is the enemy right now, <laughs> that's not who the enemy is. And so you've got to call that lie what it is, or else you're not going to have the heart and posture with another person if it happens to be a relational situation. Secondly, you are not your mistakes. You're a redeemed and loved child of God. Okay, so you're not a horrible person. God loves you. He knew this is where you were going to be, that this is something you're going to be dealing with. He's not surprised you're there. He's not appalled by your behavior. He knew this was coming when he offered you his forgiveness. And thirdly, I think this is really important. God is not disappointed with you. He's disappointed for you. Why? Because you are putting up walls that keep you from receiving the love he'd like to give you. Right, So we assume when we're in these dark places and we're hurting or maybe we've, we've offended other people, um, you know, we, we, we get filled with this guilt and shame and remorse. And maybe our heart is just hard and it builds up these walls that keep us from receiving the grace and the love that God would love for us to be experiencing in that time. And so God is just disappointed for us. He's sad for us because we're not receiving that from him. Uh, just leave that up there for a second. Any thoughts that jump out at you as you look at those things? What are you like, hmm, yeah, that's, I need to remember that. Anything resonate with you? Yeah, Haley? Okay. Yeah. It's hard to see ourselves um, outside of our mistakes, right? Especially when we've hurt other people. Yeah. Yeah, Justin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's key. Good. Yeah, Randy. My thoughts on this are um, unconditional love. Your unconditional love that God gives me every day and forgiveness that um, is given to me through salvation. And um, how dare I disappointed in myself and not forgive myself when I am forgiven how dare I not forgive you because the gift is given to me mm -hmm. yeah I'm not God how dare I not love myself when I'm so loved mm. yeah that's great that's good good stuff okay so these are three things that I kind of try to remind people of right away and I think that we have to address these kind of foundational truths early on in the process, because if we don't, guys, we can give all kinds of advice, 
But if people have a warped image of themselves and others and God, it's going to be very hard for them to take that advice and do anything with it. Like we have to reorient ourselves to the truth first. What is the truth? We have to be reminded of it. And then we have to begin living in that. Okay. So God is in the business of transforming us and he can and will use our sin and our repentance to help shape us. So after I listen to my friend, strive to allow my heart to be broken for them, no matter how frustrating their actions may be, as I shared, ask them some questions to try to get beneath the surface, beneath the waterline of what's really going on, and then remind them some foundational truths, which I just shared. Then I usually ask this critical question, okay? Do you want God more than you want your circumstances to change? Do you want God more than you want your circumstances to change? Because honestly, folks, most people just want the pain to go away. Honestly. When broken people come through my doors, they just want life to just not be so difficult right now. And they haven't even really thought about, do I really want God? And here's the thing. This is why this is such a critical question. It's because I can guarantee people that if you seek God, you will find him, right? That's scriptural, right? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah, right, 29, okay? So that's a promise. I can guarantee him that. What I can't guarantee them is that you can, if you come and do all the right things, counseling, uh, confessing your sin, um, asking for forgiveness from somebody else, you can do all those right things. I can't guarantee you that your circumstances are going to change that the pain's going to go away because that involves a whole lot of people and maybe situations that that person can't control, right? All you can control is you. So we try to focus on, guys, just the focus has to be on, on knowing God more. It can't be on the, the end result being that your marriage is fixed because I can't guarantee you that's going to happen. And if that's what you put your chips in and then that doesn't happen, well, then where does that leave you <laughs> with God, right? Is he just a genie in the bottle? And if I just do all the right things, life will turn out okay, right? The treasure is him, okay? So we have to, I've got, I've got to come to a, to a place like that with somebody or else really soul care is probably not going to work, <laughs> all right? Just like those of you that are counselors out there, like you have to have some baseline understandings agreements in order to move on, all right? If people don't want God more than they want their, their, their situation to change, it's going to be difficult, okay? Larry Crabb described this pivotal truth like this. He said, our appetite for God must be stronger than our appetite to avoid pain. Hmm. And I want to say one last thing, and, and Aaron kind of alluded to this earlier, Okay? Guys, please refrain from rescuing your child, your friend, your spouse from painful circumstances, okay? Even though I know it's counterintuitive. Could you guys turn to James chapter 1 real quick, page 1105? James 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay? Guys, listen. Perseverance has to finish its work. 
a process, right? Your child, your spouse, your friend, their circumstances, their pain is not going to change overnight, nor should it, right? Because God wants to work in them in ways that only the suffering can. So when you pull the plug on the suffering, you pull the plug on the maturing, right? The shaping, the becoming more like Christ. So we've got to be able to come alongside and help that person, whether it's a child, friends, whoever it is, they've got to learn to lean into God themselves. Not you do it for them, not you rescue them from it, okay? So finally, I want to talk about vision, okay, vision. So in the context of soul care, right, there comes a time in Jesus' story, in each one of the Gospels, you'll see what, what they call in, they called in seminary kind of a hinge verse, okay, where the story turns and Jesus starts heading towards Jerusalem to die, okay? And usually there's kind of a key verse where Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I have to go to Jerusalem and die, and here's why. Okay, and it was always just extremely difficult uh, for the disciples to hear. They didn't want to hear it, couldn't fathom it. Okay, but it was very clear that his fate was to die. So I want you to look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. It's page 980. Or nine, yeah, 980. Verse 23. It says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Okay, so Jesus is talking about, man, what's on the other side of death? What's the benefit, right? Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Okay, so he's sharing with them kind of really kind of crushing and troubling news, right? But Jesus followed it up with some amazing promises. Just flip over to 14, chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus says, you will do even greater things, right? So in the midst of kind of the, the chaos and the disorientation of, of these things that he's sharing, Jesus reminds them of what's the hope on the other side of the painful things. And guys, whenever I'm in soul care conversations with a friend, okay, I always make sure that I end the conversation or before the conversation ends, I am trying to point them to the hope that's on the other side of the hard work that's ahead in their lives, okay? And that's so key. You got, you got to leave people <laughs> with some hope of, hey, if you do these things, and lean in. There's hope. Not hope that your circumstances are going to change. Okay? But hope that you're going to be transformed. All right? So, guys, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> there are about 70 verses in the Bible where God is referred to as Redeemer. He's the Redeemer. 
And when I am offering soul care to another person, I remind them of that truth. Redeemer is who God is. It's his nature. So it's what he's going to do. It's what he will do. If you follow him, and here's another key thing, okay? Not only if you follow him, but if you offer your circumstances to him and surrender the outcomes, okay? You've got to surrender the outcomes and just say, God, whatever you want to do with the situation, your will be done. That's a promise. Isaiah 44, 22 says this, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So we have to remind people who God is, what his nature is. His nature is to redeem, restore, take broken things and make them new, and what he will do if we lean into that. Okay? Guys, if you don't know what to say, one very simple thing to do is just affirm the other person. Just say to them, hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you for being vulnerable, for trusting me with your heart and your story. I know that had to take a lot of courage for you to say that. Man, for, for, I'm so proud of you for maybe for owning your sin or maybe for asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. I'm proud of you for seeking counsel and wisdom. I see Christ in that posture, right? Because a lot of times when, when that person's hurting and they're not thinking much about themselves, and for you to say, I see Christ in the way that you're doing this, wow, they're like, man, even when I'm kind of a mess, <laughs> Jesus is still there. <laughs> he might shine through my junk, right? It takes a lot of courage for someone to trust another person with their heart unloading that stuff and then kind of bracing themselves for what the reaction's gonna be. Man, maybe we, maybe we be like Jesus in those moments as we care for them. A couple months ago, guys, I shared a story. This is the last thing I'll share today. Luke chapter seven. If you remember the story, it's about a woman who had been, um, had an encounter with Jesus and Jesus had, had forgiven her and shown her grace. And in this story, Jesus is sitting down at a dinner table with some religious leaders in town, if you remember this, and she, she walks into the room, and she takes this huge risk, a very vulnerable moment. She, she wants to express her, her gratitude and her thankfulness uh, for what Jesus had done for her, and she, she gets down, and remember, she, she weeps, and she cries tears onto his feet. She kisses his feet, and she pours perfume on his feet, and the people sitting around are appalled at, at the, just the inappropriateness of this action, right? But what does Jesus do? Jesus says, do you see this woman? Do you guys see her? Right? He points to her, and he affirms her willingness to be vulnerable, right? And he cares for her soul by, by recognizing her posture of humility. And guys, when Jesus does that, and probably even before that moment, but especially then, he had a follower for life, she wasn't going anywhere, right? She'd been loved so well. And when we enter in and extend grace and remind people of what's true about them, even in their darkest moments, to be able to say, hey, that's not who you are. That's what you did. <laughs> but who you are is this person here. And we're going to help get you back there, right? Their desire and their appetite for Jesus grows. 
And he becomes their treasure once again. And once Jesus becomes somebody's treasure once again, that's when real healing can start to happen. I had, I had an illustration I shared with somebody one time. It's like a, you know, a, a statue. You know how those, those really shiny statues, I think about like the bean one in Chicago, you know, those metal statues, they get, they get pretty murky and <laughs> bird crapped on and smudged up over time, fingerprints or whatever. Man, our job is we care for another soul Right? That's not how that statue looked when it was put there. Right? It was gleaming and beautiful and polished. Right? That's the true nature of the statue. Right? But sometimes in life, we get crapped on. <laughs> we crap on ourselves sometimes. Right? We, we cause our own trouble. And other people come and they, they have their fingerprints all over us and life just kind of gets messy. In soul care as Christians, our job is to, is to bring our polishing cloth and to come and, and restore that person to their original beauty, to make them gleam like the, the righteous person that Jesus says they are. That's the privilege that we have. As we enter into this time of uh, communion, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to, gosh, I don't know. I mean, you guys have probably been sitting here thinking through different ways you've reacted to friends when they've come to you, and maybe you've thought, man, I didn't really handle that very well. Or maybe somebody didn't handle your heart very well. Or maybe you've been in situations where um, you're not really sure what you wanted was God more than you just wanted your circumstances to change. So maybe there's some repentance that needs to happen. Whatever it is that, whatever business you need to do with God today to just kind of share your heart, I want to invite you to do that. Um, the ushers are going to dismiss you. We take the, the communion cups. Hey, we're just going to go ahead and take them back to the pews because um, it kind of gets a little log jam. There's these neat little uh, cup holders in there, right? old school. So we're just going to put those in there. You can just take them to the trash as you leave or whatever, but just grab one and go back to your seat after the ushers bring you up. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you for the unbelievable nature, the gracious, kind, compassionate nature that you have. Even with people who made some, you know, pretty big mistakes that did some really what we might consider horrible things. Your posture was never better than. You hurt for those folks. Help us to be humble. Help us to, to lead people to the fountain and not try to be the fountain ourselves. Help us to, to teach people how to lean into God and what he might have for them in his timing. God, just help us to be better at navigating emotional stuff. <laughs> we want to reflect you. And this is just a huge arena for us to grow in. So God, speak to us. Help us just to be honest and maybe confess some things we need to today. We give you this time.